Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Revival is not, so I've had this rant in my spirit, uh, going around in my spirit like a hamster, just rolling on a, on a wheel for quite some time now, and uh, I felt led to do the broadcast on this today. I had said that today we were going to do the believer's authority, however, I just had this so strong in my spirit, so what we're going to do is Thursday, we're going to continue the believer's authority series, part two, and then today, uh, there's just a little bit of an interruption in the regular scheduled programming, religious garbage, revival is not hindered by God, revival is not hindered by the devil because he's a defeated foe and he has no ability to stop the move of God. Revival is hindered by only one thing and that is people who get in front of God and do not allow for an environment in gatherings, Christian gatherings, conducive for the fire of God to flow, for the power of God to flow. You know, everybody's crying out for the the, the days of Acts, oh, we want the days of Acts. We want the miracles that God did in the book of Acts. But people fail to actually do the acts that triggered that response from God. And so everybody's crying out for book of Acts results without subscribing to the actions of the apostles. We call it the book of Acts because it's the, uh, the acts of the apostles that triggered the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's the acts of the apostles. It wasn't even, you know, the revivals that we read of in Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul going to Ephesus and there being such a mighty move of God that the people began to bring their magic books and sorcery books and burnt them in the sight of everyone. That type of revival didn't come because God sovereignly moved. That didn't come because, you know, they, they just randomly gathered together one Sunday and they were just in a regular scheduled programming and all of a sudden God sought fit to send the Holy Spirit's twin brother called Revival just at that moment. No, Revival began in Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Ghost has been roaming the earth seeking to replicate what he did in Acts 2 and more in this day and age. But the reason why Acts 19 happened, Acts 8, Philip going to Samaria, all those things happened in a grand style was because the Lord was moved to manifestation through the acts, these special acts that the apostles took. I've come to realize there's no special people. There's no special people, there's no special ministries, there's no special nothing. God desires to take every church to become a mega church. God desires for a move of God to be triggered worldwide now, yesterday. There's no special moves or special people or special ministries. You know what there are? There are people who do special things that trigger special manifestations. The book of Acts, these, these apostles, these disciples, you know, Philip wasn't an apostle, he was an evangelist, but these guys, they were not seekers they were strivers. They were contending for a move of God. They weren't just, you know, curiously peeking into places and seeing if God was doing something interesting there or that day. 
And if not, they went to the next place. No, they didn't stop tilling the ground and sowing the seed and pulling on heaven's strings until a full-out move of God was unleashed in those areas, in those regions. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, we're not, moving, we're not waiting for a move of God. We are the move of God. We need to stop this whole waiting on God to do something and start doing, pushing the right buttons that historically has caused God to do something. There's dangerous patterns that I'm seeing arise and they've developed over time in the church that are dangerous and they're anti-biblical patterns, anti-productive, anti-literally like an anti-Christ pattern that many churches have adopted unknowingly. And because of it, it has, it has stopped. It has stopped. It's put a stop on, on the flow of God in many church services worldwide. And I can only talk about North America because that's where I preach the most. But this is what I've seen. Dangerous patterns that have been developed, that have been instituted. Traditions. You know when Jesus said? You have... You have stopped God's power by keeping to your, your traditions. God, Jesus literally told the, the, the religious Pharisees of his day, he said, you are those who keep to your religious traditions and in so doing, you have forfeited God's power. You've abandoned God's power. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. And uh, let's begin with verse 12. This is something Jesus did in his day. Listen to this. And Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind at that time and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the highest. They became angry and indignant. So here you have Jesus walking into the temple. So when people say you need to be Christ-like, just remember this is not outside the realm of being Christ-like. Fashioning a whip and driving out money changes and flipping tables in the church is not outside of being Christ-like. Now we're not physically going out to flip tables over, but we are... We're going to spiritually flip tables. We're going to flip spirit, uh, wrong mindsets, wrong patterns. We're going to flip over the tables of religion in your life. And I pray, I actually prayed that God would draw in ministers to this broadcast who have maybe adapted to some of these traditions, some of these things that they've said, this is how church is supposed to be. Listen. Everything you thought on how church is supposed to be that doesn't align with the biblical mandate, you should discard. Just because they said church has to end at a certain time does not mean that church has to end at a certain time. Does not mean that that should be the pattern. You know, they do all kinds of church growth seminars across the United States. And they say, gone are the days of people gathering and staying for longer than an hour and a half. So trim your services to a specific amount of time if you're going to grow your church. You know, the largest gatherings on planet Earth right now that are happening are in places where they don't subscribe to that line of thinking, 
where there's not a one hour, you know, they call it an hour of power service, as if like God has one hour to show up, and if you go one hour and one minute, you go one minute over that one hour, and we are shutting down shop. We're not waiting for you, to, uh, God. We're not waiting for you to, you know, don't patiently take your time. If it's not one hour, we're shutting down shop. You have no place for this week's service. You're going to have to come back next week. That's how some churches run their, their, their whole service. God has an hour, if that. And then you talk about the hour, like 40 minutes is, is singing, 10 minutes is offering, and then they got like 10 minutes to preach and do an altar call and have a move of God, as if like preachers carry revival in their briefcase that they can just open it up and unleash a move of God just at will. That's not how it happened. Acts chapter 2, Jesus told them to tarry in Jerusalem until power came. And the disciples had been tarrying for a whole 10, 10 days straight. Straight. They didn't leave the upper room for 10 days straight. Just in prayer, in fasting. And then the Holy Ghost fell. Those types of meetings, we call them tarrying meetings. Now, we're not tarrying to receive the Holy Spirit. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit the moment you believe. Because Jesus said it's a gift and you just had to tarry until he came. Jesus prayed the Father to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here, and he's here to stay. You don't have to tarry now to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. He's already here. However, the whole concept of tarrying in extended meetings, you know, when's the last time you've had an extended meeting? When's the last time you had a meeting you know, where, where God moved so strong Sunday morning, Sunday night, that the pastor or the leader of the church said, you know what, let's go the whole week. When is the last time that we've had 21 days straight? I'm not talking about all churches because many of you come from churches. I come from a church where we have this type of meeting. I'm trying to target places now that have totally abandoned this type of blueprint that, that the Bible prescribes for growth in the church. When is the last time that we've had a... a, 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 a extended meetings where it wasn't just Sunday morning from 9 to 11 and that was it. We'll see you guys next week. You know how many times I've seen it where on a Sunday morning, 9 to 11, God started to move powerfully and because it hit 11 o'clock or it hit 11.30, the pastor came up and said, listen, I know we went a little longer than usual. Ha, ha, ha. You know, they laugh about it. When the Holy Spirit's not laughing, you're actually grieving the Holy Spirit. And if you grieve and put a wet blanket long enough on the fire, God's trying to, 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 uh, to ignite in your church, there will come a time where it'll be Ichabod. The glory will depart. You know, some people, they're like masters at putting out the fire. God starts to move a little bit. People start to flood the altars. There's an action. You can sense God's presence. And instead of just sticking with that, it's like they've tailored their ministries and church services to accommodate the lukewarm who are uncomfortable and uneasy in that type of environment. And so they come up and they said, I know that we went a little longer than usual. You guys are free to go. If you'd like to stay at the altars, there'll be some deacons that'll come and pray for you. But if not, we'll see you next Sunday. <laughs> As if it's like some comical thing. It's not. It's grieving the Holy Ghost. It's grieving the Holy Ghost. How many... Bodies could have been healed had you just acted on it and extended that, that move of God. How many souls could have been saved had you just stuck with God's program instead of man's program and extended that move of God and not given excuses or apologies as to what happened today at the altar, but rather saying God's moving, we're meeting, we're going to dismiss maybe for lunch, but we're meeting back here tonight and we're going to go the whole week. 
How many, how many genuine national awakenings could have begun, but we quenched the move of God because we were more concerned with people being home to catch lunch because they had a roast in the oven or they had a, a football game at 1 p.m. that was kicking off in our fantasy football league. Who cares about those things? A million years from now, you're not going to look back and, and, and be complaining about how you didn't set your lineup up for fantasy football that week because God's spirit was moving. You know what you're going to care about? You're going to care about how... Uh, uh, you're going to look back if you had left. You'll look back and say how much you could you missed out on. Had you just tarried, you could have tasted and seen that problem, problem that you had been praying about. There was a solution in the anointing that day, but you left early. You know how many parents will literally schedule their lives, not around church, not around revival meetings. They'll schedule their lives around their child's baseball practice. You know that it's like 0.005% of children that will actually grow up and play professional sports and make a living from it? It's such a small percentage. Oh, we can't be at church tonight, Pastor. I know there's revival meetings and stuff, but, you know, uh, my, my son has a little league game, and, and um, he's actually, he's been doing really well. He's been practicing hard. He, yeah. The amount of people that actually go pro is so small. Your kid's most likely not going to do it. But you know what the stat is for people who will stand before God one day? Do you know what the stat is for the people who will give an account for the deeds done in the flesh is one day? It is 100%. 100%. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for those things that we've done. I don't want to stand before God and have Paul next to me and Paul saying, Lord, I've abandoned everything. And then I'm there saying, you know what? You, you shouldn't have had church Sunday night because you know Sunday night's my downtime. I work a whole week. What a, what a cheap excuse. It's going to be embarrassing for some to stand before God. It's going to be embarrassing for some to come before God and, and, and they're going to give an excuse as to why they kept their kids out of church. You know, there's so many parents that they, they, they quote the scripture, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not, he'll not depart from it. They, they quote that scripture, and they think training up their child was bringing them to church from 9 to 11 on Sunday morning, and that was it. Anytime there were revival meetings, an evangelist was in town, they had special meetings, they had, they had um, uh, fasting and prayer for an entire week. You didn't go to, I don't need to, I already went to church Sunday. Training up a child in the way he should go is not having him play on his iPhone for an hour on Sunday morning while the pastor's preaching and you just give him an iPhone to distract him so at least he came to church. That's not training up a child. Training up a child is making every effort to provide for that child an atmosphere, an environment conducive for them to experience the raw power of God through an encounter with his spirit. You have, the, you have a, a, the youth pastor that goes a little long on, on a Friday night or whatever. And the adult service got out early. And then the adults, all the parents are coming looking through the window to see, why are my kids still in there? You know, it's 9.30. My kids should be out. I got to be home. We have a picnic tomorrow on Saturday. Looking, looking through the window, trying to, you know, getting an usher to go and get their kid out of youth when God was moving. And then we... we we make excuses. Like, no, I had a, we, had a, we had an early morning the next morning, so I, we're sorry we couldn't stay. 
Your kid, had he just stayed maybe an extra 20 minutes, could have had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that would have marked him for eternity. But good, go and have your picnic tomorrow at 9 a.m. Go and have your early morning, your hockey practice at 6 a.m. Where your kid's not even good enough to make the first line anyway, so who cares? <laughs> it, it, it really irritates me. That's why I told you I'm going to rant today. Because I'm telling you, remember how Jesus said you have made it a den of thieves? The greatest and the most precious thing that can be stolen from this generation is not gold, it's not silver, it's not even opportunities. You know what the most precious thing, you know what Jesus was saying, you made it a den of thieves? He didn't care about the money, he didn't care about the, although he, he probably did care about the extortion, but not as much did he care about the extortion of finances that the Pharisees were taking advantage of in those days. He said you're a den of thieves because they were robbing people of a move of God. They were robbing people of a genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit. They were robbing people of the most precious thing, which is God's people encountering the Holy Spirit. That's why right after he overturned the tables of the money change, changers, what did he do? The Bible says at that moment, all those that were blind, lame, and deaf came to him and he healed them all. He restored the purpose of the temple. He restored the purpose of the temple. Many churches today may not be financially hustling God's people for money or whatever, but there's a lot of systems set up in church that are robbing hungry people of a move of God. People that are ready and willing to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit are not having, there's no system set up in the church where they actually could plug in and receive that. And it frustrates me because you know what happens is the, the, most of the time the leadership, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. The leadership, they see, you know, the, the, their life is all right. They don't have anything. They don't have, they don't have nearly any des, as much as desperation in their hearts for something as some of the people in the pews. And so they don't, they don't see the, the need for these things because their life is all right. Not knowing that behind every pew is a broken heart. Behind every pew is a mother who lost her husband, has to raise three kids, and just got a diagnosis of cancer, and now she doesn't know what, she doesn't know what she's going to do with the kids because she thinks she's going to die early. And so we're putting time restraints on services because we want to accommodate the few people that are going to get uneasy and uncomfortable rather than tailoring your services to reach the people that Jesus, you know, Jesus sent out an invitation and he said, one guy replied saying, I got to go and tend to my flock. Another guy said, I just bought a house. I got to go see the land. Another person said, I just got married. These were all, it was inconvenient to serve God. For them, it was inconvenient to answer the call of God. And churches have time restraints on people who believe it's inconvenient to stay longer than a certain amount of time in a church service. And we're tailoring it to them. We're setting the barometer, the temperature, to make them uneasy and to make uh, to make them uh, comfortable and 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 at ease. When in reality, we should do the opposite. Jesus certainly did not aim or target his ministry towards those who were on the fence, lukewarm. He made such strong statements that the Bible says many left him from that point onward. He looked to his disciples and he said, are you going to leave me too? He said, where could I go? Where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. So he was offensive. The gospel is offensive. To preach something like this is going to offend many of you today. But I don't want, you know, everybody's afraid of offending everybody but God. Paul said, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. 
I don't want, I don't care about offending you today if it means that I'm pleasing God today. And you know what? When you deal with the offense of what I'm saying today, you know, because some of you might, I'm not, I have sometimes feelings of like, oh, you know, uh, hurry, uh, not hurry up, but like, man, I can't wait to get home because I have this and that to do. I have that. But I put it under. I put my, that's your flesh. Your flesh opposes the spirit of God. Your flesh is anti-God. Your flesh, Romans 8 says, is at enmity with God. It is against God. It doesn't want to please God. It can't please God. It doesn't know how to please God. The deeds of the flesh are evident. The flesh doesn't want you to have a move of God. That's why Paul said, crucify the flesh. Why would Paul, if the flesh was automatically crucified, the moment you get saved, why would Paul tell Galatians 5, the Galatian church, why would he tell them years later, years down the line, after they've already been saved and blood-bought and sanctified, why would he remind them that they need to crucify the flesh? Because the flesh you're going to have to deal with for your entire life. You're going to be in a service where you're thinking of uh, what, you're gonna, what you have to do tonight or what you have to do later. Or you're in a late service. It's midnight and God's power is moving so strong. And you get the thought, man, maybe I should leave because I have an early morning. You're going to have those thoughts. But the Bible says you're going to crucify the flesh and submit to the desires of the spirit. So the flesh doesn't, the flesh loves a one hour service in and out. Microwave religion, McDonald's drive-through service. The flesh loves it. But God can't, God, and it's the exception, not the norm, where God does something notable or extravagant in a, in a one-hour service or a 30-minute service, 30 minutes of preaching. Very exceptional if that happens. The norm throughout Bible history has been extended periods of time where people have pressed in, pressed in. If there's no press in your spirit, there's no prize to apprehend. And so what oftentimes what they see as a successful service today, and they teach you this in Bible, many Bible colleges, the successful spirit, uh, the successful service is not God's spirit moving. The successful service is you get them in and out having gone, you went through the whole order of service. And you got out right on time. Wow, what a great service. That's how man sees an orderly service. But God sees it as totally disorderly. Totally messed up. God sees that as, a, as, a, as an abomination. I just got, you know, praise God, we got through the whole order. I got, you know, when I get up to preach, I'm not, I'm not thinking, man, I wish I can get, I'm going to get through these seven points today. If I can get through these seven points, it'll be the best service ever. I don't care if I don't even get to point one. I don't care if I don't get to point three. I don't care. I would probably fail every homiletic class in, in uh, Bible colleges because the way I preach is very unconventional. But I'd rather fail those and have a move of God than be, get 100% of my homiletics test be tailored so that I do, you know, they have actual organizations where they have church organizations, denominations, where they have like competitions on preaching and they get together and they have like, uh, they have two kids get up and they, they, they have to give their service and within 15 minutes and the one who has a good introduction, the three points tailored nice and the, they're training preachers, the next generation of preachers that that's successful ministry. Being able to get your thoughts out and that's not successful ministry. Jesus said, as you go, heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the kingdom of God, get people saved. In my name, cast out devils. If those things are not happening in the service, then it's not successful ministry. 
It's religious trash that needs to be pulled out. I've gone to churches where they've told me, you know, we're, service starts at 10.30. We're going to try and, you know, usually the people leave here at like 11.45, 12. That's when we usually dismiss them. And so um, we're going to try and get the mic to you by 11.10. And uh, hopefully that works. If not, uh, we'll do our best. So what ends up happening? 10.30 comes along. Music is like 45 minutes. 11.15 now. Offering and announcement is 10 minutes. You're at 11. 25, and they tell me I have to 11.45? I've got, I've got, uh, what is that, 11.25, 11.40, that's 20 minutes? He said maybe 12. So I have 20, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes to do a full presentation of the gospel invitation and then ministry laying hands on people? I have to do that all in 20 minutes? 30 minutes tops? You know, it's funny because people will go and sit through three Lord of the Rings movies, three hours each, nine hours. They'll go a whole Lord of the Rings marathon. They'll watch nine innings of baseball. Never did I hear of the MLB getting together and the, the directors and the executives of the MLB coming together and saying, hey, people aren't doing nine innings anymore. We're going to have to trim our services to five innings now because the nine inning approach doesn't work. They never did it. They do nine innings and they go long. Sometimes it's 1130 at night. The game's still going. Why? Because they're loyal to the sport. How about we get loyal to the word? How about we get loyal to the spirit? They're loyal to the sport. Let's get loyal to the spirit. Let's not tailor our services down. Let's ramp them up. The MLB doesn't get together thinking oh, people aren't coming to our baseball games anymore. They don't care if they're coming or not. It's nine innings. Well, people won't show up. To, you know, people will just start getting up. I kid you not, I was doing a service recently, and I, I was told by 12 o'clock, people will just get up and leave. And I kid you not, at 12 o'clock, Jesus himself could have been raising the dead that day. And there were people that just got up and left. And we were having a powerful service too. A lady literally looked at me with her watch in her hand. Like she went like this, and she went like this to me. I kid you not. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a boring, I don't consider myself to be a boring preacher. I, I, if this is boring you, I don't know what's going to excite you. <laughs> Literally looked at me, looked at the watch, tapped the watch, and then got up and left. Because it was 12 o'clock. I got the mic at like 11.20, 40 minutes in. No hunger for God. There's zero hunger. There's no desperation. And that's what I want to burn out of you today. All the apathy, all the indifference, all the... The desire for the cares of this life that trumps and is prioritized or the, over the cares of the word and the cares of your family and the cares of your spirituality. Jesus said it's thorny soil. Thorny soil, the seed is sown on, but the cares of this life, the desire for other things. You know what you're telling God when you get up at 12 o'clock and leave the service? Because preacher went five minutes over. Do you know what you're telling God? You're telling God you don't care. You care more for the roast in the oven. You care more for your agenda that day than for his agenda that day. And you know what's crazy is most of the time it's the people that pray. I mean, they'll open up the service. I'm, I'm not kidding. I've heard this. 
A pastor will go up, open the service. Lord, whatever you want to do today, you get it done. We open ourselves. We, we surrender to you. Surrender is not in voice. It's not in word only. Surrender is we're willing to do anything and everything in order to experience your power and presence today. Surrender isn't, Lord, we surrender to you. It's not word only. It's this, em- it's this empty confession. It's empty confession. It's backed by no action, and it means squat to God. Jesus said, these men draw near to me with their mouths, but their hearts are so far from them, are so far from him. They draw near. They know how to say the right words, but their hearts are so disconnected. When you have a heart that's hungry for God, there's no service time that's too much. There's no too long of a service. When I, when I go to Tampa Bay, Pastor Ronnie Howard Brown's service, and he has like four or five hour services. I'm not looking at the clock. This guy's going too late today. I know, I'm pressing in. I enjoy those services. When I'm in revival meetings, of, and I'm sitting in the revival, I'm not preaching, I mean, I'm just sitting it. I don't look at my clock. I'm, I'm like praying in the Holy Ghost as the preacher's preaching, and I'm asking God for instructions. What, what would you have me do? For this next season of life, what would you have me do? Lord, let there be an impartation. Lord, I want more of you. Is there anybody in the chat today that wants more of God that is not going to subscribe to the status quo religious garbage that does squat? It holds to a form of godliness, but it denies the power that's able to actually propel you and advance you and help you in life. Is there anyone in the chat that's saying, Lord, I'm hungry. Lord, I want more of you. Lord, I don't want tradition. I don't want religion. I want a move of God. Early will I seek thee. My flesh longs for thee. My soul thirsts after thee to see thy power in thy sanctuary. David said in Psalm 71, 18, Lord, even when I'm old and gray-headed, don't make me lukewarm. I don't want to settle down. I don't want to dim down. I don't want to wane down. I want to be more on fire as the days go by. Forsake me not until I've shown thy power to this generation, thy mighty works unto everyone who comes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. You got a 10, 12 million dollar building and you open it up one day a week on Sunday morning from 10 to 12 and that's it? God puts in your hands resources, a wonderful building and you have it open one day a week. What a mockery. You look at stadiums in America and Canada. They don't open it up one day a week. They pack it up. They pack their schedule. They realize we're sitting on a, on a massive building with a massive stage and a massive uh, bleachers and stands and all that. We're going to make use of it. And what do we do in church? See you next Sunday. See, it's embarrassing. It's actually demonic. It's demonic. You remember when the church closed in 2020 for like three months or whatever? Within three months, there was rioting in the streets of America. There were people throwing bricks into business windows. There was total anarchy in the streets within three months. Because the devil knows as the church meets more and more, it means he can do less and less. But if the church meets less and less, then he can do more and more. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of this world. Don't hide your light. 
Don't sit under a, 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 don't put your light under a bed. Put it on a lampstand. Put it on a lampstand that it might give light to everyone that's in the house. Don't hide it under a bed. Don't just meet once a week and that's it. As if we're just some like religious organization bunched in with every other religion. Because you know what? Muslims don't even meet once a week. And they don't serve Jesus Christ. And their level of dedication outweighs many times, outweighs Christians. It should not be so. It should not be so. The enemy seeks to get people uneasy and uncomfortable with staying too long in church because he understands that tarrying signifies hunger and hunger brings and ushers in transformation by the Spirit of God. Notice how you never feel uneasy or you don't feel like challenged when you go and sit down through a movie or you go to a sporting event or you go sit at a concert. You don't see people that go to a, I don't know, who to name. You don't see people that go to a, a, a Kevin Hart comedy show paying $200 to sit down in the seat and by 40 minutes into his comedy show, they're saying, you know, he should really hurry up. Not only do they, sh- not, only do they not do that, they pay $200 to sit in the seat. Church is free. You don't have to pay a dime to be in church. And what do you have? He, he's going too long, you know. He should really... Notice how there's no opposition in your flesh. There's no, there's no uneasiness when you're in those areas. Why? Because those things don't crucify the flesh, and so the flesh does not oppose it. When you're in church, God's doing a work on you. God is doing something. That's why, I mean, I've seen it. It's like everybody has a bladder problem. You, you start going a little long, and then all of a sudden, everybody's going up to go, go to the bathroom. They got like a bladder, automatically a bladder problem erupts in the church, and everybody's going to the bathroom. Everybody's got to get up. The, one of my biggest pet peeves, and I pray this will never be you, is when an altar call is being done to call people to Christ, and you see people, I'm not kidding, they put on their jackets, they get their backpack, and they beeline it out. The most important time of the service, the most crucial point, the thing that is literally marks everything about everything that we do. It, it marks the purpose of even opening up the church on a Sunday morning. It, it is the summation of all things Christianity and kingdom work is winning souls, saving the loss at any cost. And the altar calls being done. And what do you see? People getting up and leaving because they want to beat the rush of traffic out of the parking lot. I had that happen in a service recently. I almost, I almost like threw a hymnal at them. I'm not kidding. It's disgusting to me. It's, it's really disgusting. You remember Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. That's a lukewarm action. No wonder it produces this desire to just want to propel vomit out of my mouth. Don't ever be that type of Christian. Don't ever be that type of Christian. The whole point of even, why do we gather as a church? What's the point of gathering? Is it just to gather? Is it just to sit down in the same spot and say, hey, Charles, good to see you this week. Is that why we gather? No, that's not why we gather. We gather, the Bible calls us the ecclesia, the gathering of the called out ones, so that we can come together, worship God, have his presence fill the room, 
And sit, you know, like Martha was ter- was running around anxious for many things. Mary came and sat at the presence of Jesus. That's what the church is to gather for, to sit at the presence of Jesus, to get refueled for another week of evangelism, and then have an altar call to call people to Christ. That's why the church gathers. The, 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 the minister's job is to... Not get people out at a set time. The minister's job, biblically, is to remove people's pains by the anointing of God, no matter how long it takes. When I, you know, when I preach now, I used to ask the Lord, Lord, what will you have me say today? I don't do that. You know what I ask the Lord? Lord, what will you have me do today? What do you want to do today? What is on your agenda today? And if he says, I want to heal the sick, I'm going to preach and I'm going to teach on healing until I start seeing the sick being healed. I'm going to preach and I'm going to teach on healing until I start seeing faith rise up where God can begin to do what he said he wants to do today. I realize this is not my service. Get this whole thing out. Now I'm the pastor of the church. This is my pulpit. This is my church. It's not. It's his church. It's his pulpit. I'm just using it as his voice piece. And whatever he desires to do, that's what I'll say and that's what I'll preach until there's a manifestation of it. It's uncaring, insensitive leadership that is more concerned for time than it is for people. When I prepare, when I'm preaching, man, the reason why I'm so eager to get the word out, the reason why I have such a passion, people are very passionate, as if I'm like trying to work something up in the flesh to to garner a, a reaction from the crowd. No, I don't care. I've preached to people who are stern in the face and I've preached to people who get up on their, run around the service and jump up and shout hallelujah. I don't care what the reaction is. You know why I preach with this passion? Because I realize that there are people that are sitting in that audience with a terminal illness and unless they hear the gospel, they will die prematurely. They will not experience God's healing power and that's a testimony lost do you remember when paul was preaching in acts chapter 20 there was a man called eutychus who fell asleep because he continued a long while even until midnight paul preached till midnight Paul didn't stop preaching until midnight. And he only stopped briefly because someone fell. Eutychus fell from the third story of the building and died. And Paul came down and scooped his body up and raised him back to life and then continued his message until daylight, the Bible says. He didn't even stop as if that was Most people would have said like, okay, maybe I've gone a little long. We'll dismiss. We'll continue tomorrow. He continued until daylight. He didn't even stop. And what happened? Because he's... They literally, we have a testimony, a miracle testimony in Acts chapter 20 because they weren't uneasy about how Paul was taking too long with his message. Because Paul continued till midnight, they got to see a miracle. How many miracles have been forfeited because we've cut the service too short? How many revivals have been forfeited because we cut the service too short? How many genuine baptisms in the Holy Spirit have been forfeited and lost that lost opportunities to meet with God because we cut the service too short? Not forsake, the Bible says, the assembling of ourselves together. God wants to do more things than ever in the history of the Bible and Christianity now in these last days. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of son, but as you see the day of the Lord approaching, we should do so all the more. We should meet more and not complain about it. Another thing I, I, I'm, 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 I'm uneasy about is not having extended meetings anymore. Just if they have a guest speaker in a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and that's it. Do you know A. a. Allen? R.W. Schambach, Kenneth Hagen, all these great men of God. 
that you read of their stories, they had such miracles, it shocked the world. They, even secular news news uh, papers had to air or, or, or report on what God was doing in their tent meetings, Oral Roberts, because it was so shocking. It was so such a, 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 a notable miracles that were taking place. They, had, they couldn't hide it anymore. They had to report on it. Do you understand that those miracles happened in, in, in services that were three to five weeks long? Do you understand that that type of manifestation of the Spirit happened not on day one of them standing up to preach? It was like two or three weeks into the meetings they started to see this. Do you understand? You know Catherine Coleman? Everybody knows Catherine Coleman. Oh, what a mighty woman of God. Do you understand that she wouldn't even lay hands on a sick person unless that person had stayed a week in her divine healing sessions? A whole week, every day, several hours of day just to hear uh, Catherine Coleman's preaching on healing and other people that she had in to teach it. She wouldn't even lay hands on you to heal you if you hadn't sat under the word for an entire week. People want the manifestation without the instructions. People want the power of God without the word of God. But that's totally wrong because he sent his word and it healed them. The word of God is the vehicle that carries God's power to a person. So these people, Coleman, Hagen, a. Allen, they had, they oftentimes would have three weeks of services in a tent with a noon and a 7 p.m. service. And noon, noon time was like teaching on healing and divine healing. And then the service at night was him ministering to people. And they would do that for three to five weeks straight in a tent. And they'd plop their rear ends in a specific region, in, an, in a city. And they wouldn't leave until they had a, a move of God. And that's why you started to see that miracle R.W. Schombach talks about being the greatest miracle he ever saw. Where a boy that had 26 incurable diseases was brought to that meeting, sat in a whole week. And his mother brought him to A.A. Allen. And in that service at night, after sitting a whole week in that service... Um, and in that environment, that anointing, A. A. Allen took the boy up and began to walk around with him. And supernaturally, all 26 of those, those incurable ailments and diseases cleared out. He was blind. He was deaf. He was mute. Everything cleared out. He was born like that. They didn't expect him to live to two. He was like about six, seven years old at that point. And the Lord healed, cured him of all that. And that went into the national newspapers. Because you, you can even go read it now. Um, uh, if you search up A. Allen, boy with 26, 26 uh, incurable diseases, you can read about it now. It, it was supernatural. You look at Charles Grandison Finney when he started the, the, the awakening. He went to Rochester, New York. There was no good church in Rochester, New York. There was no move of God. It was actually the opposite. And Charles Finney made it a point for 30 days straight to have meetings 10 a.m., 1 p.m., 7 p.m., three times a day. He had meetings three times a day and didn't stop. And he had no results for the first like 20-something days until finally a lady came forth and committed her life to Jesus, who was a very affluent lady in the community, and the news spread, and then boom, kick-started the, 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 I think it was the Second Great Awakening. That happened in Rochester, New York. He didn't go to the Bible Belt. He went to a a place that he actually said to the Lord, Lord, why would I go there? I don't, I don't foresee having a very successful endeavor there because they weren't, they weren't hungry for God in Rochester, New York. It would have been better to go to Texas or Alabama or something like that. Go, Lord told him to go to Rochester. 
And he didn't stop. He did the, there was an extended meeting. We don't do extended meetings a lot of times anymore. It's like extended meetings are just for youth. Youth. They go to camp for a week during the summer and that's the extended meeting. And then when you grow up to adulthood, we, we move on to, we're too busy. We're too busy for that. Too busy for that. Meanwhile, the things that you're being busy about can be solved if you're just plugged into an extended meeting, a revival meeting. The things that you're too busy about, the things that you're working overtime to try and get an answer and a solution. Do you understand that your solution is in the anointing? Do you understand that it's in those times that I've been in revival meetings for a prolonged period of time that I've received downloads from heaven that brought instruction and wisdom that cleared me out of many hard times and difficult situations? Trying to figure things out in the flesh, not knowing that it's in that atmosphere that everything will be sorted. That's when the crooked ways are made straight. That's when the rough paths are made smooth. You know, you have, you have pastors that get up and say, I know many of you are busy with life and that's okay. Um, but we're going to have a Sunday night service this week. I know if you're too busy, you don't have to show up. <laughs> it's all comical for them. Too busy. You know, Jesus said, the thorny soil was the one who was too busy for li with life. And the Bible says the, the seed grew up, but the thorns choked it and it became unfruitful. Became unfruitful. Not too busy for God. I'm not too busy to, you know how many, if you would just, some of you, some of you maybe come from churches where they have a revival week every three months, four months, maybe it's twice a year they have a revival week and you always just go to one or two services. You don't plug in for the entire week. Do you understand that if you would just dedicate those two weeks a year or whatever to plugging in and saturating in that env environment of the anointing. Do you understand that it'll, it can actually set the pace? Why do you think we, I, we fast and pray at the beginning of the year? Some of you for 21 days. Some of you for 14 days. Whatever. But some churches, they have 21 days of fasting. And 14, our church does that every year. Why do you think we do that? Because if we'll just devote and consecrate the first 21 days of this year to fast and pray and seek the face of God and get instructions from His mouth that it would actually set the pace for the entire year. Instead of just uh, neglecting that and then trying to figure things out for the first nine months of the year and finally get a handle on it the last three months, instead you set apart time and give yourself, throw yourself, throw yourself into it and uh, it'll actually clear things out so that it can set the pace from the beginning of the year, set the pace for the entire year. So those are, those are the first two things. I got another thing that I have to rant about that I hear a lot in churches. And I, I'm not trying to come out here and be some arrogant young kid who thinks he knows it all. I don't know it all, but there are certain things that the Bible says you shouldn't do, and so I know those things. I've heard people say this, and this irritates me. Not every service has to be a blowout service. Not every service has to be this great service. I've heard ministers say that from their mouths. Well, then what's the purpose of meeting? Is gathering for the sake of gathering? You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, let me read this. Acts chapter 2, and beginning with verse 42. Not every service has to be a blowout service, brother TJ. Really? Because I have, people ask me, like every time you preach, it's always, you have one mode. Yeah, I have one mode. I have one mode. I don't have, I don't have calm TJ. I have one mode. I'm, I, I preach 
every service as if Jesus were coming back at noon. I preach every service as if Jesus were coming back today, that this would be the last, the last time I ever preach because Jesus is going to return. I, I don't. I make the most of every opportunity to preach. I don't, I've always prayed this and I continue to pray this. Lord, may I never lose my wonder about what you do. I pray, Lord, I don't want to ever, and if you're a minister, you should pray this for yourself. God, I don't want to ever become a professional minister. I don't want to ever know how to do a service. I don't want to ever become professional and masterful at conducting a service where I just, I know how to do a service. I know how to do a service. I know how to, as if it's like I'm an actor that's on Broadway, goes in, does his shindig, and then exits stage left. I don't want to ever have it like a Broadway play. I don't want to be a hireling, a career minister, where Sunday's just another, just another gig, brother. Where I go and do a week of meetings and it's just another gig. Like I'm a rock star band. Traveling celebrity. Going and giving a TED talk. No, I don't want to ever become a professional minister. I, you know, that's where people get into the ordinary. That's where you see ordinary ministries. They have no manifestation of the spirit. No people getting saved, nothing. They're just ordinary ministries. Because they've mastered, they've mastered the order of service. They know how to run a service. They know the christian statements. Their services all look the same. There's nothing out of the blue. It's the same thing. I can walk in anytime during the service and tell you exactly where they're at. You know who I really appreciate? Pastor Rodney Howard Brown. Because at the river, it's in, in Tampa Bay, it's insane how he operates. There's no order to service, ever. Now, they might have baby dedication. I understand there's things to do, and there's nothing wrong with doing those things. But even in baby dedications, it's by the Holy Ghost. There's no, okay, 1030 to 1039, we're going to have song number one, 1039 to 1040 and 36 milliseconds. We're going to have uh, brother so-and-so come up, and he's going to just give announcements. And then by 1041 to 1047, we're going to have, everything's so structured. It's all nailed down to a T. Pastor Ronnie, when you hear him preach, and you see a service, it's totally in the flow. There's no structure to it, but it all feels like there's a structure to it. But there's none. There's none. It feels like it's, there's an order to it, but there's none. It's all by the Spirit. If he feels, he'll be preaching. And he'll see someone in the audience. And he'll be like, hey, brother, come up. Exhort the crowd. And they'll, you know that's how the Welsh revival was? Evan Roberts would just speak a bit. And then they would sing, and all of a sudden, he'd call someone up, and that person would exhort the crowd, preach a message for 15, 20 minutes, and then they'd flow into another song. And as they were doing that, there was no order to the service. As they were doing that, there'd be people that would be drawn in from the streets, sinners that would fall to their knees and feel God's presence and feel the need to repent on the spot. Just a flow. Flow with the Holy Ghost. Flow with the Holy Ghost. Some of you have been in, in my meetings where I, I'll start preaching 10 min, 20 minutes in and I'll call someone out and I'll, t- I'll say these words. You don't have to wait till the end. God's spirit's on you right now. Receive, receive uh, breakthrough right now. Receive healing right now. You know, in Acts chapter 10, Peter was preaching to Cornelius' household and while he was still speaking, the Holy Ghost fell. I want those divine interruptions to happen again in our service. You know, if the Holy Ghost fell in some services, but pastor hasn't finished his six points, he wouldn't even react to it. 
He'd probably kick the person out of the meeting. It's unfortunate. That's why you should, th- I thank God that I go to a church. You should find a church like that. I go to a church where my pastor is sensitive to the things of God. My pastor is he's open to it. You should find a church like that. Now where they're kicking people out that are experiencing God because it's not on time. You know, that's what they said of Jesus. He came and healed that woman that was bent over double in Luke chapter 13. And the Pharisees said, there's six days I went and ought to work. This is not the time for healing. This is not the time for, for miracles. This isn't the time to experience God. That's what they were telling him. There's six days. You could have done this on any other day. This is the Sabbath. This is not the time. You know what the Sabbath means? It means a day of rest. That's exactly the time. Church is exactly the time where people should experience the rest of God, where people should experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit spirit where people should experience the healing power of God it's exactly the time they were saying it's not the time you you if there was a a, 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 tongues and interpretation on a Sunday morning in some churches they'd boot them out they'd boot them out Acts chapter 2 they were all together in one accord and the Bible says In verse 42, they steadfastly heeded to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to prayers, and from fellowship, and and to fellowship. Four things they did. Apostles' doctrine, meaning they sat under their preaching. Fellowship, meaning they were together. They were gathering to do that. Three, breaking of bread. They took communion regularly. And then four, they had prayer meetings regularly. What was the result? Acts chapter 2, verse 45, and uh, 43. And great signs and wonders began to spread throughout the whole region. And signs and wonders were done through the hands of the apostles. And fear of God came on all those in the the region. So they did those things. What was the result? Supernatural manifestations. Miracles broke out. Revival hit the land. What was the result? Two, verse 45. The Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. Evangelism begins to work. Souls begin to come into the kingdom. Salvations begin to happen. Three, they begin to carry influence in the land. Acts 4.16, as they kept on meeting for the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and prayer meetings. They got together for these things. What happened? Influence. Acts 4.16, what shall we do to these men, the, the, the Sanhedrin said. A notable miracle has been done through them is evident, and all who dwell in Jerusalem have seen it, and we cannot deny it. Because they were taking those actions to meet together and have extended meetings. You know, the Bible says that the daily hour of prayer, they were meeting daily for this stuff. They weren't meeting weekly. They met daily. Miracles that were notable that spread throughout all of Jerusalem and brought a certain level of influence to the church because of it. I don't know why the church has no influence. Because we're not doing this. If we started doing this, extended meetings, prolonged meetings, And we started to see Book of Acts Christianity, Book of Acts results. You can't have Book of Acts results if you don't have Book of Acts actions. If we started doing it and we started to see the results, I'm telling you, we would garner a certain level of respect in society. Acts 5.28, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you fill the whole of Jerusalem with your doctrine. It spread, their influence spread. People knew about the church. You know, it's a shame when you've been in a certain city for 40 years and people don't know you exist. 
There's some churches that if you ask people on the block, there's two streets down, hey, do you know about this church? They'd say, never heard of it. You should be well-known. You should be renowned. You should be making noise. The Bible says in Acts, further down the line, that these men who have turned the whole world upside down have come here too. They made a mark. They made noise. And it didn't come because they met once a week. It came because there was a certain level of unity. You know, that's another thing that'll come if we have extended meetings. It's in extended meetings when you see your brethren and sister in every single day that there's friendships that are formed. There's a unity that's had. They were all together in one accord and then came from heaven. There's a unity that's had. A lot of the problems of disunity in the church would be solved if we had extended meetings. Convinced of it. Convinced of it. So one, time restraints on services. Two, extended meet, no, not having extended meetings anymore. Three, not every service has to be a blowout service, brother. Where do you see Jesus ministering and it not being a blowout service? Where do you see Paul ministering and it not being a blowout service? He always had a reaction. They either hated him, and, and that's a blowout service. If you get people to hate you, that's good. Not hate you because you're a jerk, but hate you because God's power was manifesting. You know, I was just reading uh, Charles, uh, no, it was John Wesley. John Wesley, in his, in his diary, he wrote, I went to... Um, the first Methodist church in this area got kicked out. Next Sunday, went to this church, got kicked out. Following Sunday, went to this church, got kicked out. Following Sunday, went to this church, accepted, and, and then began a, a great revival. So he went to like four or five churches, got ran out of town. They used to actually moon him while he would preach and throw tomatoes at him until finally he got to a church that actually accepted him and his message and then the revival broke out. And then John Wesley is, is said to have been in Boston when Boston was 22, 22 or 25,000 people. And when he preached in Boston Commons Park, he had 35 to 40,000 people show up to the meeting. So strong was the power of God in manifestation that the people that, because they couldn't see him, right? So they would climb up trees to have a better vantage point of view and people that were in trees he'd have ushers go out and get them out of the trees saying if you stay up there it's been known many people have been shaking under God's power and they fall under the power of God and many have fallen from trees and broken limbs so we'd ask you please to come down before that happens to you such a strong manifestation of God's power that they have to take people out of trees lest they should get hurt because they get hit by God's power So don't talk to me about not every service has to be a blowout service. If you're a minister watching right now, every time you get the mic, get a grand slam. Give it your best. Let there be a pressure coming out of you. And even if you're not a minister, if you're just, a, uh, you know, you're just someone who wants to win more souls, don't ever be boring in your approach. Get excited. Nobody wants to follow somebody that's not excited about what they're pitching to you. You know, when they do an Apple... Apple uh, reveal for the new iPhone. You don't see the, the CEO come out with his hands in his pocket. Hey, guys, uh, yeah, this year's iPhone is pretty much the same as last year's iPhone. Even if it's the same as last year's iPhone, the way they present it is so glorious and glamorous that people are like, I want it. Literally, all they've done from one iPhone to another is 
for the, instead of the camera being vertical, they made it horizontal. But they say, introducing the new iPhone 14, where the camera has 16 megapixels. And they, they come out with this like great presentation where literally all they've done, if you study it, they just changed the direction in which the camera's pointing. But they do it, they're excited, and people buy it. Well, don't be dull. The T.L. Osborne used to say, the gospel is good news, and it should be preached as breaking news every single time. It's breaking news. Breaking news. You want to know, you want to know why? I get excited because I may have heard it 100,000 times, but there's people in the audience that have never heard of divine healing. I was that person once who had never heard of divine healing. When I heard it, I got healed. There are people in the audience who've never heard of the Holy Ghost. The, Paul, Acts 19, did you hear, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believe we've not so much as even heard of the Holy Ghost? Paul said, you've never heard of it? Let me tell you about him. Some people have never heard that God answers prayer. Some people have never heard that God loves them. You, you know, some of you grew up in church, you've heard God loves you 150,000 times and it's just like another statement now. You know, there's some people on the street that they've never heard that God loves them and has a glorious plan for their life. Don't deliver it like you're just, you know, reading a Facebook news feed. Deliver it with passion. Deliver it with oppression. Let the cry of heaven be in your voice. Not every service has to be a blowout, Brother TJ. You know, sometimes you just, you know. If I ever do that, shoot me. If I ever sound like that, shoot me. If I ever sound like that, just put me down. Lethargic, lazy preaching doesn't do anything to me. And I'm not saying you have to yell. You don't have to, to, to yell to be passionate. I'm wired in a certain way. But I've, I've I heard ministers that don't yell. But there's a passion in their voice. You know. You know they're, they're, they're preaching from here. They're not preaching from here. Let's, you know what Leonard Ravenhill used to say? He said, a sermon that comes from the mind will just appeal to the mind of a man. And the regeneration of the human spirit does not occur in the mind. But a sermon that comes from the heart will appeal to the heart of man. And that's where people are born again. God gives you a new heart. You're born again, regenerate. So if, if you're preaching, it's all just, it's all theory and information coming from here. Then you won't have the blowout services that I'm talking about. Whenever you're up to bat, let it rip. Let it rip. Give it your all. You know, I've gone to places where there wasn't that many people and I could have just, you know what? There's not that many people here. I just, you know, share a few thoughts, teach a little bit. I could have done that. I can't. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. I can't. I have to, I have to preach. I have to declare. I have to. Because even if there's 15 in the audience, there may be one that has to hear this message. There may be one that unless God pulls through with them, for them in the predicament that they're in, they're, they're going to die. Or they're going to... They'll be messed up. Another thing that irritates me is churches that apologize for taking up an offering. And I'll probably finish with this. Churches that apologize for taking up an offering. Matter of fact, before I do that, I want to pray for you. 
for the first couple of things that I, I just brought up, that you'll never become an ordinary Christian, that you'll never become a status quo person in the, in the Christian kingdom, that you'll never become some sideliner in the game. You won't be a referee or a sideliner because there's, there's three types of Christians. There's people that are in the game and they're working, the, working it. There's people that are in the sideline and just cheering it on and just sitting back and, and watching everyone else do the work. And then there's the referees that are just trying to call everything else, everybody out for not doing it with their way. Meanwhile, they've never done anything. They weren't good enough to get in the game, so they just referee. Don't be the referee and don't be the sideliner. Don't be an ordinary, put that in the comment section. I will not be an ordinary Christian. I will not be an ordinary Christian. I'm not gonna be an ordinary Christian. I'm not flowing. You know, it takes a live fish to flow upstream. Dead fish can flow in the direction of the current. I'm not flowing with the current. I don't care what North American Christianity is like. I'm a Bible Christian. I'm a, I want to be a primitive Christian. I don't want to be this progressive Christian. We're progressive. Progressing to what? What do we have to progress from? Did God screw it up in here? We don't have to progress from something. You know, when I was in Bible college, they said, the days of doing outdoor crusades is done. No longer will people meet day in and day out to hear the gospel preached for an entire week. They told me that. If I had believed that progressive thought, I wouldn't be doing what I do today. Instead, whatever the devil tells you to, to stop doing, do it twice as much. They said the days of doing those things are over. You know what we're doing? We're, doing more, we're gonna do more Hope Fests. We're gonna do more crusades. We're gonna do more week-long meetings. We're gonna, whatever the devil doesn't want you to do, find out what it is, and you know that's God's will, and do it with all your might. Not progressing. I'm sticking with the biblical mandate. I, wanna, I want the fire of God today to burn out every trace of religion in you. And in, I, I pray the same for me. Any trace of religion in me. I'm not leaving myself. This is something I pray constantly. Father, by your fire, burn out religion. Burn out any sense of apathy. Any sense of, of indifference towards the things of God. Anything in me that would get me to lay my foot off of the pedal. Anything in me that would cause me to get distracted. Jesus said, lay aside every weight that entangles you. Every weight that would prevent me from running the course with all my might. From putting my hand to the plow and not looking in another direction. Any other direction except for the Bible direction. May God put blinders on each side to keep you from that distraction. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, you will not be an ordinary Christian. You will not be a normal Christian. You will be supernatural in your operations. You will be distinguished on the earth. There will be a distinction on your MO, on your mode of operation. People will know that you're a person called by the name of the Lord. You won't be lukewarm. You won't fall into the trap of lukewarmness. Grace is coming on you right now to be an on-fire Christian.
And the fire will never go out. I see the Holy Ghost lighting a flame and setting you ablaze right now. A drive towards the things of God is being generated into your spirit. A drive. Everybody talks about the drive to sin. Everybody talks about, you know, uh, you know, people, people just can't stop sinning sometimes. Well, what about people just can't stop going to church? What about people can't just can't stop reading their Bible? What about people can't stop praying? Why is it people can't stop sinning all the time? Why is it there's a drive of the flesh? How many of you know that flesh is going to rise? Yeah, okay, we crucify it. But what about, how about that spirit will rise up in you and will drive you to your knees in prayer, will drive you to church, will drive you to revival meetings, will drive you to evangelism, will drive you to share your faith at work, will drive you to be unmoved by the opinions of men. What about that? What about the fire of God? You know, Jesus said, I have desired that the earth be set on fire. On oh, how I wish it were already kindled. God is wishing for you to be kindled. He said, I have desired to set the earth on fire. And oh, how I wish it were already set on fire. Stop praying, God. I wish that one day you'd set me on fire. Instead, open up your heart to receive the fire of God on your life today. He said, how I wish it were already kindled. It's God's wish for you to, set, to be set on fire. Tongues of fire descended upon every one of them. They all went on to live abnormal lives. Your uncommon dedication to the things of God will produce an uncommon life in Jesus' name. You will live an uncommon life. You will live an abnormal life. You will make your mark in your generation. You will not blend in with cultural trends. You will blend in with kingdom trends in the name of Jesus. Jesus' name. And I'll finish with this. People are, and, and, and then we'll give you an opportunity to give today. Actually, before I do that, I want to ask you, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you, has there been a time where you have publicly made your, Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life? Has there ever been a time where you have admitted that you were in sin and that you need the blood of Jesus to wash you clean? Jesus died and rose again, not because he needed his life sorted out or his sins forgiven. He did it for you because we were all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin was death. That's why Jesus died. He had to pay the penalty of the sins that we committed. We committed high treason against God. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died. But because he was innocent and pure, he was raised from the dead. And the Bible says he was laid down for our transgressions, meaning our sin put him on that cross. But he was raised up for our justification, meaning he was raised up to life again to make us holy and blameless and justified. What does it mean to be justified before God? It's justified, never sin. It means to live in a place of, of, of positional perfection before God. When I accept Christ into my heart, it doesn't matter what my past was. It doesn't matter what I did yesterday. It doesn't matter what I did last week. It doesn't matter what I've done in my past. When I accepted Christ into my heart, the old was done away with. Everything became new. 
And now God sees me as he sees his son. I've been clothed with Jesus. I'm pure and holy in his sight. He doesn't call me by my past. He calls me by what I've been made to be in Christ Jesus. Has there ever been a time where you've made that decision? If there has, but you've fallen away. Maybe it was a, a divorce, loss of a loved one. Maybe it was a tragic thing that happened to you. Maybe it was the last three years messed you up and you've distanced yourself from God. Maybe you're watching this today and you were everything that I talked about. You, you're uneasy in church. You haven't, last time you've been to a revival, I mean, you don't remember. There's no fire in your heart. There's no drive. There's no inner drive to the things of God. You've become lukewarm. Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Now is certainly not a time to be lukewarm. Now is a time to be dipped into the kerosene of the spirit and be set ablaze to burn for God. Don't be the five foolish virgins who didn't carry necessary oil to keep the lamp burning they let their fire go out don't let the fire go out if that's you you've taken your foot off the pedal you're not you you, you feel like if jesus came back right now you wouldn't be ready to meet him today's your day if you fall into those two categories one you've never made your life uh, you've never given jesus your life you've never accepted him into your heart or two you have but you want to re Align yourself with the divine purpose on your life today. You want to get back on fire for God. You want to get things settled and straight. You want to live like the five wise who carried oil in their lampstands and kept on burning until the bridegroom came and there was a cry saying, the bridegroom, the bridegroom cometh. You know, Jesus is coming back for a bride that is without spot, without wrinkle. And you know how you have without, I just ironed my shirt the other day. You know how you get the wrinkles out? It's by an iron. It's heat. It's heat, either by steaming or by an iron. The fire of God will literally iron out the wrinkles of religion, the wrinkles of your past, the wrinkles of anything that would hinder you from going all in with God. So pray this prayer with me if that's you. I want you to do this from the bottom of your heart, not as though God hears you. God hears you when you pray this prayer. Say this. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is Lord. I turn to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. Today, I'm laying aside every weight, every snare, every sin that would entangle me. And I'm putting my eyes on you. And I will run with perseverance the race that you've set before me. In Jesus' name, I am born again. I am saved. I am forgiven. The blood of Jesus cleanses me now. Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. That's the first little tab that you're gonna see. Fill out, that, fill out that form. I want to get something to you free of charge. It's a Bible, a book, free of charge. If you recommitted your life to Jesus today or it's the first time you've ever done that, I want to supply you with some material that's going to help you. I want to help you plug in. I want to help you uh, not make this just a blimp on the radar map, but the beginning of a new adventure with Jesus Christ. Go and do that now, salvationnow.ca. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. 
God bless you, and until next time.